You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 111. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. I, man, this, uh, <laughs> this intro music, this intro music, I don't know if um, it fits the times right now, but why not? I'm going to keep the intro music. I'm going to try a solo show right now, which is kind of dangerous at a time like this. Of course, I've been staying indoors. I've been in the same room basically for the last two weeks. Um, and my sanity, as you'll see, is still very much intact. Um, just trying not to catch or spread the coronavirus here in Brooklyn. We will see if I'm successful. So far, so good. Um, I have uh, been, well, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what it's been like here, avoiding people and stuff. Um, there's been like a deluge of information and articles and all this on coronavirus, on COVID-19. So I, well, I'm going to try to share some of what I found today, but I don't know. We'll, we'll take it a little slow today, guys. We're going to have to slow down because I have all these articles written here, which I have uh, kind of summarized, and I'm going to go through and give you kind of my takeaway from each one. Um, but, um, you know, I may, uh, I may have to flip back and forth because I might not remember everything. So let's see if we can get through this. There's some really interesting stuff here. And I want to tell you about what it's like actually living through this time in Brooklyn, because it's been really interesting. Fortunately, as you can tell, um, it hasn't been so bad for me right now. There's, there are a few things kind of scary, you know, worried about relatives, um, you know, worried about getting out. But for now, at least, you know, being inside has been, um, has been all right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts, a lot of solo shows, and there is a lot of doom and gloom out there. Uh, people are, well, people don't know what to do. They have their podcast, they go on and, some people are stopping their podcasts altogether, I've noticed. Well, not here, not at the local maximum. We are going to be doing a podcast every week, no matter, well, I'm not going to say no matter what, but as long as I can, uh, I'll be doing a podcast. And I think it'll be more interesting uh, when I bring on guests. So I am now up and alert and I will find more guests um, for the local maximum in this time. I might have to kind of readjust my strategy a little bit. Um, we can get through this. Uh, I, I think that uh, our city can get through this. The world can get through this. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger might apply from a society basis, but um, maybe that's not too much comfort for people going through, um, whether it's quarantine or actually getting sick. Um, and uh, and again, we'll, we'll go through it together. I'm not going to turn off the local maximum. Uh, I, I'm not going to turn this show until like oh, the world is going to end update weekly because the world is not going to end. The world goes on, life goes on. Um, but I'm not going to ignore the fact that we're all clearly uh, trapped inside right now. Um, some of us more than others. Uh, I'm <laughs> well, yeah, I have, I have to take an elevator to get out of my building and what they've done in the elevator is they've limited it to three people can go in the elevator at once. You know, I don't think that is enough. I want, when coronavirus is going on, I want, and they say no one in the building got it, but that email from a week ago, oh, I'm sure people in this building have it. 
And so three people in the elevator is not enough. Um, so I've been walking down 22 flights of steps to leave the building. Nobody is on the steps. Not a single soul. It is completely empty. And on the way up, I wait for other people to use the elevator, and then I, I take it myself. But sometimes that could be quite a long wait, so a few times I had to go on with someone. So that's sort of an interesting thing about living here versus if I lived in the suburbs, say. Um, okay, I don't know what's going to happen with this. Again, we've all been bathed in lots and lots of data and information sources, a lot of different angles, a lot of different approaches. Some of it is political sniping, which is, you know— it still goes on. I guess it's hard for people to look at things from the non-political angle sometimes. Um, and, and some of the information coming in is good, and a lot of it's poison. And so I've spent a lot of time going through Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and all that, and I'm sure a lot of you have. And it's it's wasted a lot of my time. And I've really, while living at home here, I've realized that, um, you know, it's good to spend some time away from that, away from the information sources. Pretend you don't have pretend you don't have the internet. Just look at your books, you know. Um, so yeah, with with all of the information coming in, uh, a, a careful person, or what I'm used to do is, to, what I'm used to is kind of taking the time to sift through it all and sort of evaluate each one um, as uh, you know as, as as fitting their narrative correctly. But it. It is really tough to do that as things unfold so quickly. So that approach doesn't really work. You have to be kind of quick and fast. And so I'm trying to think of what special knowledge I would have when looking at all these articles. All I have is, you know, statistical knowledge and, and experience. I have all the tools built up from doing this show, The Local Maximum, over the last two years. Um, but one thing that I have that I'm trying to make good use of. And this is, I want you guys to listen because maybe we could do something useful to somewhat here, to, to, uh, to someone here is, you know, as you know, uh, I was working on a new app for Foursquare. It's called Marsbot Audio. Uh, it's still coming out. We're still planning on doing it, but our launch date was March 11th. And clearly <laughs> we were worried actually, where are we going to be ready? Uh, by March 11th, like this whole year and last year, are we going to be ready by March 11th to launch this thing? Are we going to be technically ready? Uh, th that's what we were worried about. It turned out, yes, we were technically ready to launch it. But as March 11th rolled along, rolled around, uh, the last thing the world needed was an app that um, that encouraged people to get out and walk around their city. Uh, so I think that we will launch it, hopefully, when all of this kind of dies down and uh, and and then we, we want to get people outside. We want to get people reconnected again. Uh, then we'll launch this this really awesome app, um, which which some of you uh, have asked for demos on. I could still give out demos, but now it's I, I don't know what the point is, but that will be pushed off a few months. Fine. Great. So what are we doing in the meantime? Well, Foursquare is a location company and we have all of this data uh, to look at on where people are going and what they're doing. And so right now, we've decided to shift our labs team into, okay, how can we use this data to try to figure out what's going on with coronavirus? What is happening in our cities? Um, but I'm like, aside from, we just started with doing a few simple visualizations. I'm still trying to figure out how we could use this to help because the data set is really, okay, we have, what, 13 million people in the U.S., 
and all we have are their stops, uh, the places they go, um, and the, the, when, when they went there, you know, the, the stop. So the, the, the time of the stop and then the place of the stop, like, like Starbucks, for example. Obviously, we've been seeing a lot less stops in the city, and that's a good thing. Um, but what can we do with that to aggregate it? I'm thinking, is there a way to find out, you know, how many, well, we've been looking at, you know, how many events there are, events in terms of multiple people at the same place. Are those going down? Are we seeing some kind of correlation between those going down and, and viral spread? I don't know, uh, but uh, if you have anything at all to weigh in on this, it's localmaxradio at gmail.com. We have gotten a lot of requests for data at the company, but... Um, any ideas? I'll I'll read them because I'm I'm still I'm still trying to figure out what we can do. We kind of turned on a dime here, um, but uh, but uh, yeah. Any just because you suggest me something, I don't know if we can take it. But I, I really want to hear more uh, opinions on that because um, again, I don't know what would be helpful. So. There's a lot of BS going around. I want to say that there is no ultimate expert here. You know, there are epidemiologists, there are data scientists, there are people like that. There are very, there are very few people whose expertise lies at the intersection of everything. And even those people have missing gaps in knowledge and are making a lot of assumptions. And so this is really not a case where you can listen to one expert. A really good example of this is on Medium, which is the you know the blogging site. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that this one article was taken down by Medium. I didn't even know that Medium could do that. I didn't know that Medium could take down articles. Um, so I found that really interesting. And I think the reason why it was taken down was it be, because it was uh, well, it was saying, hey, um, this uh, you know uh, this. Um, uh, pandemic is not going to be as bad in the United States as some people are saying. I don't think that's the only reason. I think it was just, um, you know, there were a lot of uh, charts and graphs, and I think some of them were good, but maybe, I, I don't know. I feel like you can argue with it, um, and so that's fine. But anyway, Zero Hedge posted it. It was, um, what is it? It's, uh, it was um, Aaron Jin posted this, and the name of the article was evidence over hysteria, and then it was um, argued against by Carl Bergstrom. Uh, so Aaron Jin is a viral marketer. What does that have to say about <laughs> actual viruses? I don't know, um, other than you know dealing with data sets that looked similar on the surface, and then um, you know. Carl Bergstrom does a whole rebuttal on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I found it really interesting that stuff like that's taken down. I think it's because the author is like this big Republican. And so, uh, you know, they're going to take down the, 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 they're, they're probably more likely to take that down. Oh, and look, I don't know if you guys hear, but there are sirens outside. You might be concerned. You might be wor worried. Are those sirens out there because of all, all these people are, are sick because of coronavirus and all that? And well, it, it could be, but as you know, whenever I uh, uh, I uh, broadcast from here in the apartment, uh, <laughs> there are always sirens down there. So I don't think this is anything new. Um, so another medium article that went around that's a little more um, a little more, let's say, uh, well, that, it, it's not as optimistic. I'll put put it that one, but this one is also very going around from another data scientist, uh, Thomas Pueo. Um, and um, 
you know, he also gives an analysis on the coronavirus and how many people it's going to hit. And so I will, uh, I will definitely post to that one. Um, you know, and, the, and another one, this is, not, um, this is not a Medium article, but this is Dr. Dan Yamin in Israel um, talking about, he, he also takes a more optimistic view and that obviously, you know, exponential growth doesn't last forever. It only stands to reason. Some people are more prone, and, and Thomas Pueo says this as well, some people are more prone to infection than others, uh, either because they have a weakened immune system or because they're putting themselves near lots and lots of other people. So that all increases your risk of getting it. So obviously putting yourself near lots and lots of other people is something you could do something about your immune system. Well, there's also stuff you could do about your immune system. You get more sleep, you can get more vitamins, but some, some of it you can't do uh, much about. Um, once those people are infected, then new infections should go down. Because if, from the virus's point of view, the low-hanging fruit has been taken, the, the easy people to infect. Um, another point that I think this was Thomas Pueyo uh, putting out is that there, this thing seems to be spread by people who are deemed super spreaders. So there are two things happening with these super spreaders. First, they're very social people. They go to parties uh, with lots of other people. And secondly, when they get the virus, they have... You know, everyone gets it a little differently, but some people get it in a way where it spreads very, very easily, whereas other people get it and maybe, you know, it doesn't necessarily spread if someone else is in the same room as them. So there are a small number of these super spreaders, and I've seen articles of this happening. My sister posted, uh, told me about, tipped me off on this one because she lives in Westport, Connecticut, um, and uh, this is happening in a lot of these small towns. There'll be one party. And everyone goes to the party, and this party is attended by one of these so-called super spreaders. You kind of think of them as think of them as sort of like influencers on social media, except uh, you know on the downside. Um, and uh, they go and they infect everybody, and so the virus can spread very quickly like that. I also think this was someone's going away party, and they were going to another country, and then they spread it. The the person going away also got it, and then spread it to that country. So all these articles coming in. Do we really need more think pieces on Medium right now? I think, um, I think we've had enough. I think we have the range of opinions. I don't know if I, I, I don't know why it's okay for Medium to take one down if there are so many opinions out there other than maybe you know certain people are just posting it way too much. But yeah, I, I don't like that. But it's strange. We've never had to deal with anything quite like this uh, before. I've never had to deal with anything quite like this before. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to live here in Brooklyn right now. Um, there's something about the last couple of weeks staying in my apartment that feel... Uh, I don't know. It feels a little familiar to me. I'm trying to think about what that could be. Um, it's definitely not like Hurricane Sandy, uh, for example, because after Hurricane Sandy, we would actually go out of the apartment all the time and travel all the time and go on long walks and go to other places and be with other people. It was inside your apartment where you didn't want to be because it was dark. And I remember I slept at home in the dark and then I would charge my phone at work during the day. And that was only for three or four days. Um, maybe this feels a little bit like being shut in in the winter when it's, you know, when there are lots of snowstorms and it's kind of too cold to go outside. Uh, we didn't really get so much of that this winter. Uh, so, uh, 
yeah, it's, I, there, there's a surprising amount of things. I'm sure that some of you are realizing this just as much as me. I'm finally going through my things and throwing away what I don't need. I'm reading some of my old notes, some of them on mathematics, some on proposed podcast episodes and getting ideas from them. And uh, maybe we could all use this as an opportunity as well to think about the, the space that we live in. I'm getting more sleep. I realized I moved my coffee table over to the side and I made a big uh, area in my apartment so that, um, you know, I, I have a place to kind of do jumping jacks and push-ups and, and kind of uh, walk around, pace around in. That's all very important. Um, now, it, it, I also am kind of thankful that I have an apartment with a view now, and I look out here to the Statue of Liberty, and everything really looks so nice. It doesn't look, if you just look out um, at the scenery in Brooklyn right now, it doesn't look different than it ever has. And there have been some amazing sun, sunsets over the last few days. Uh, it's raining right now, uh, but, but still. Um, I, going outside, again, going for walks is difficult. I, there, have been, uh, th there has been a lot of, uh, shall we say, disagreements on whether it's okay to get out and go for a walk. Um, I've found... Well, I've tried to avoid people, basically. I mean, if you live in a rural area, going for a walk is not a problem. But over here, so long as I sneak outside, and yesterday I went to Fort Green Park, and I uh, got in between the trees there where nobody goes, and I walked around there for a little bit and stayed, you know, at least 40 feet from everybody. Uh, so that kind of works. Um, but uh, again, can you use the, the city bikes uh, if, you, if you wipe it down? I found that getting groceries, like I've, you know, some of the bigger places like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods are getting way too crowded. But I have found that getting groceries late at night um, or even during the day at some of the smaller grocery stores are where to go because there really is not, there aren't that many people in there. One night in particular, I walked all the way to Dumbo, which is kind of far. Maybe don't want to walk there all the time, but uh, the stores there are open 24 hours, very good. Another one in Park Slope. Um, the problem with the CVS here, CVS is awful. They won't even give you a bag until they touch all your stuff, and I, it's it drives me crazy. I don't want to go back to the CVS. I went to Dumbo, and they, they, they packaged my stuff in four beautiful plastic bags. I don't know what happened to the bag band down there. Maybe they have a, an, a, an exemption, but man, we have to exempt the bag ban right now because it's hard enough carrying all this stuff back and forth and then dealing with, you know, uh, lines of people asking for bags and everybody passing around the bags. If they just did it like they normally do, it would be so much safer in this time. And imagine that. Uh, two months ago, the legislature of New York thought that banning uh, plastic bags was the most important thing going on. So that's what they've done. Um, and it's certainly making it more difficult to avoid contact in the city these days. Um, another policy that I don't like uh, here in the city is that Mayor de Blasio has come down particularly hard on price gouging. Uh, the following items... It's illegal to price gouge, and economically, that's one of the worst policies you could have right now because it means that these items won't be available. And these are cheaper items, so even if they're price gouged hard, they're still going to be affordable to the average person. Here they are, like thermometers, sanitizing wipes, baby wipes, paper towels, aloe, latex glove, fever reducers, cough suppressors, uh, zinc oxide supplement, face mask, rubbing alcohol, toilet paper— and facial tissues. 
Um, economically, when you create a price ceiling on something, then you get a shortage of it because it's hard to get and um, nobody is incentivized to bring more of them into the city. So hand sanitizer is not on this list, thankfully. I went to Dumbo the other day when I went to Dumbo, hand sanitizer, they had a big, uh, gorgeous display of hand sanitizers, you know, like hundreds of them out front. They were $6. Maybe they're usually two fifty. But you know what? At least um, uh, uh, companies are incentivized to bring in lots of hand sanitizer from outside the city and maybe factories that um, made something else before uh, can make hand sanitizer or factories that do make hand sanitizer or packaged hand sanitizer can work overtime to make the extra money. Uh, so that's great. And that makes sure that enough hand sanitizer gets into the city. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that the mayor is unaware of the harmful effects of price gouging. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's all about demagoguery, I guess. I don't care. I mean, I'm sorry to participate in the political sniping right now, but uh, this could be an economic disaster if, uh, if it's actually enforced, which I don't think it is. But right, I signed up on the, on the phone for, for, to text me coronavirus updates, and then all it does is remind me every day Hey, uh, do you see anyone price gouging? Let us know so we can go after them. Awful, awful. Uh, so, you know, before the crisis, they implemented the same types of things for housing, for example. Uh, they restricted, you know, payments uh, for early payments on rent, security deposits. So that way people with, and, and all that means is that people who have a lower, uh, a, a lower, uh, a score, a lower credit score, uh, it's going to make them make it a lot harder for them to get housing because beforehand they could say, hey, I may have a low credit score, but I'm going to give you cash up front. And so that takes away a lot of your risk. And now they can't do that. So not only did they pass that bad policy, but then they bragged about it on billboards. The city of New York literally bought up all of this advertising space and billboards to brag about the policy that they enacted that that hasn't helped anybody. Um, and so it's, uh, it is very frustrating living in the city uh, right now with our political leaders, but I think people are, uh, yes, there have been people who are outside, but I, I, by and large, my experience has been people are being very careful, people are being very cautious, people are staying away from each other, uh, even in the parks. Some of it gets a little crowded, but um, I think a, a lot of people are taking this seriously. One piece of good news from our government this is from our, our governor, Andrew Cuomo. He says we are now doing, we went from like a few hundred tests a day to now we were doing, I think it was, what is it, 16,000 tests a day, something like that. Um, and so a few weeks ago, it was like, well, uh, what's wrong with us? We can't get any tests here. Now in New York State, we're testing more per capita than South Korea. Uh, which was considered, you know, the the country that tested the most, and uh, as re as the story goes, that's how they beat the virus. I don't know if that's how they beat the virus, but it can't hurt. And so, with all the testing going on in New York, yes, we've seen a huge jump in cases, but it looks like we're catching a much higher percentage of them. I personally don't want to be tested. That's why I don't want to go out. I don't want to have contact with anyone because I don't want them to shove that thing up my nose and I, ugh, I don't want, I guess if I had to do it, I had to do it, but I really don't want, to, I really want to avoid it if I can. So, uh, so let's see, but I'm glad to hear that they're testing people.
another story coming out, um, and I thought that this was about New York City. Again, I know a lot of you are outside the New York City, and so I hope you're either interested in hearing about what it's like living in this extremely dense environment um, while this is going on. I know some of you out there are either, um, you know, are, are you're being requested to stay in or... Um, I don't know, and some of you are in very dense environments and some of you are not, so all of you have different experiences. So I hope this is somewhat interesting. I'll get away from New York City in a second. But one of the things that um, I thought about was, man, things are getting really bad here, or they could get really bad here. I don't know if they're really bad yet, uh, but maybe I should just get an Airbnb in some rural part of Connecticut or upstate New York and just hunker down there for a month or two. Now, it's very expensive to do that, um, and so um, I'm, I'm still thinking about it, but it, it's, uh, it's, I'm not sure if I should. And so apparently I'm not the only one who had that idea. Other people are doing it as well. Apparently, uh, in the Hamptons and out where uh, uh, you know, a lot of New Yorkers have their vacation homes, um, all of the people with those homes are out there, and all of the people of rental properties have uh, rented. Now there are still rentals available. I'm not worried about that, but hey, there's no uh, there's no uh, price gouging laws in Airbnbs. But um, it's saying, uh, you know, th- this article from the Wall Street Journal. Let me get the uh, let me get the title here. It says, "As coronavirus hits, New Yorkers wonder." If they should leave, rentals surge in summer destinations, East Hampton, as busy as July. So all of these places um, in the suburbs uh, or in the uh, Hamptons aren't the suburbs, right? Like, I don't know, New Rochelle is a suburb, but Hampton and Westport is a suburb. Hamptons are like, I don't know, it's a whole different class, but their population has swelled. So it kind of makes you wonder if the virus then spreads out there as well. and so now I'm thinking, well, uh, you know, for people with families, for people who have, you know, uh, multiple people um, out there, you might want to, um, you might want to get out. Um, but I don't know, it might not be so bad to stay uh, either. It is kind of scary, though, if the hospitals don't have, uh, don't have room for you, but it looks like they're kind of working on that by, um, by turning hotels and convention centers into hospitals. Will it work? <laughs> we don't know. We're going we're gonna to find out. Uh, so, okay. Uh, here's another interesting story that I just found fascinating. So apparently there has been this report that this drug cocktail, I think it's azithromycin and zinc and some other things, um, can effectively treat coronavirus patients. Now, we don't know for sure yet, um, but apparently, uh, uh, Trump read this, or maybe he saw it on Fox News or something, and then he said it in his uh, in his. Uh, and I, I didn't, didn't see him, but I imagine him saying this in his uh, in one of his live press brief- briefings, like, you know, hey, we found this; it's really exciting. You, you should give this a try. And so, um, it's unclear. Uh, what the, by the way, azithromycin is interesting. I believe that's what they gave me when I had pneumonia, which I did back in 2007, and it worked very quickly. But it's an antibacterial, it's, it's an antibiotic. So how would an antibiotic uh, treat a viral infection? I'm not sure. Um, but uh, anyway, 
Trump said it was game changing because he he read an article. Um, and so people are going crazy, like, hey, you know, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be saying that. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll end up reading the Vox one more. But the two articles that I have that go on the other two extremes were obviously the New York Post. Trump urges Americans to take game changing drug cocktail to fight coronavirus. Uh, oh, OK, wait. Hydro hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin taken together have a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine. The FDA has moved mountains. Thank you. Trump tweeted Sunday morning. So the New York Post is very positive. And then, of course, there's Mother Jones, which which is very negative, but it's like, but I, the, the title is, please take medical advice from your doctor, not the president. To fight off coronavirus, Trump is pushing an unproven and dangerous drug. So both of these things are kind of tabloids. I actually think I'm going to read the link to the Vox article. Vox, as you know, has been very critical of Donald Trump, but I think they're a little bit um, more nuanced on this than Mother Jones is because the... the the title that I get from Mother Jones is "Listen to your doctor, not Trump." Is just seems a little quick, quick baity, and and just too quick to snipe something that, for all we know, could help. I don't, you know, I know that President Trump doesn't know anything about medicine, but why um, just to dismiss it because he said it is um, not what we need right now, in my opinion. So here I'm going to um, I'm going to read a quote from uh, Vox. Um, you know, hey, some of this suggests this works, um, is the rest of the article. But, and I'm quoting, the researchers only looked at 36 patients and only 26 actually received uh, hydroxychloroquine in the study. God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A tiny sample size, indeed. Uh, hydroxychloroquine can also have side effects like headaches, dizziness, and diarrhea. So it's not something that doctors can blanketly prescribe. Actually, that doesn't sound that bad. Um, and the study wasn't blinded, meaning that the patients knew what they were getting, nor is it randomized. That limits the scientific merits of the study. That said, there are plans for wider testing, at least six clinical, clinical trials for hydrochloroquine, uh, uh, and um, recruiting patients or in the planning stages around the world uh, are recruiting patients or in planning stages around the world. In the meantime, health officials are scrambling to get enough COVID-19 tests and to build up the capacity to care for a looming surge in patients. Right now, the most effective way to fight the virus remains not getting infected in the first place, which means using good personal hygiene like hand washing, social distancing measure. Okay, we've all been through all of that stuff. Obviously, everyone needs to take those precautions. And I think the worry is that some people are going to interpret what uh, what the president said and, you know, what the Post said as, oh, there's a miracle drug now. I don't have to be careful about it. And so that's sort of the worry um, that, you know, you don't want that to be the, the word on the street. Hope, I mean, I hope that I actually think people are not that bad. <laughs> people are not going to just um, take uh, the media and the president's word for it uh, right away. I, some of you might disagree. But um, you know, I, uh, I look at this, this study and they say 26 actually received it. I don't know. There's, I, they say that it's been used to treat payments, uh, patients internationally. It's been used to treat patients in South Korea, for example. There must be 
a much larger data set available for this. And I think that the way clinical testing is usually done by doing these controlled experiments is not uh, scalable or fast enough at the speed that we need it right now. So right now, what we need, well, we need, a, we need uh, observational studies. We need uh, Bayesian analyses, and we need people to come up uh, fast with um, estimates of whether or not this drug was affected. And I don't think that's the way that doctors are used to thinking because they're used to thinking, hey, there's 10 years of clinical trials before, um, before we can get this out. But when we're facing an emergency, that's not really what you want. I feel like the, um, the answer to whether this drug works is, is buried in the data set. Someone has it, but uh, they, uh, they don't know what to do with it. Or even if they do, they might not be able to communicate it up the chain. So that's a little bit... Um, that's a little bit frustrating, but uh, maybe someone will figure out what's going on. All right, now, a little bit on the lighter side, and let's not talk about treating the virus. Um, I, because of what's going on, because I'm staying at home, I'm using my ingenuity to come up with a solution for telepresence. Now, yes, I can speak into my laptop. Sure, that's what happened the first few days. I open my laptop, I talk to my friends, I talk to my coworkers, go to meetings, but I want to go beyond that. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I figured out some interesting tricks that maybe you could use while you're working at home. So first of all, I found a way to get the picture from my laptop and from my iPhone onto the TV. Now, some of you might do this all the time. If you have an Apple TV, you probably use uh, a screen mirroring uh, all the time, uh, but not everyone does. Uh, but most TVs and most uh, TV extensions, I have the Roku, for example, not the Apple TV, but it also has uh, screen mirroring. So I can actually see everyone on the TV, not on my small screen because I don't have a big monitor here. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to use that. Um, and uh, also, you know, I've been taking a look at all of the software that is available uh, to to do these video calls. Uh, you know, there's Zoom, there's Google Hangouts, there's Slack. I didn't know that. I've been talking to coworkers on Slack for at least five years, and I don't remember when they had video calls, but now now they have video calls, and we've been using it. There's Apple FaceTime, and of course Microsoft Skype. Now. Usually with my friends, I use Hangouts, and I'm trying to figure out what happened to Hangouts because it's been very spotty recently. It's not that it's, it's you know, gotten too much usage, but it's been getting, I've been having trouble getting it to work with people. Also, on the, um, it seems to work a lot better on Google Chrome, and so I really don't like the fact that Google is kind of... Um, making their own browser, which spies on you, the one that you have to use for this thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty annoying. Uh, so I'm going to give Zoom a try. CNBC has a good article on that that I'll also link. All of this is on localmaximum.com, uh, localmaxradio.com slash 111. Uh, why Zoom has become the darling of remote workers during the COVID-19 19 crisis. So they wrote a pretty good article on that. The gist of it is one that it's cross-platform, and that's something that uh, I like about it. Something I like about Foursquare too, because we're not one of the big tech companies. Zoom is not one of the big tech companies. They only make one product. They only make this video conferencing product. So it's an interesting startup story. It was founded in uh, 2011. 
Um, so I'm going to give it a try uh, next week uh, while I hold my tech retreat, uh, which, as you know, from, well, a couple, uh, a couple of years ago, back in 2018, I had the tech retreat up in northern Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire, and got a bunch of people together. Obviously, that is not going to be possible this time. So I am trying to hold a virtual tech retreat with Aaron, with a few other uh, people who have been on the local maximum uh, and some who haven't. And we're going to do some brainstorming about what the future of technology is going to be like. And so we're going to try to do it on Zoom this year. I'm going to pay for uh, the version of Zoom that where you can get do calls that are more than um, 40 minutes. I don't just want to make this a multi-hour uh, conference call because that would be boring. I'm going to try to bring in guests and stuff to make it you know fun for the folks. And so we'll see if Zoom works. Uh, you know, Zoom... I know a lot of podcasters record through Zoom, and so if that works, that could be a great solution as well. With the popularity of Zoom, the New York Times has documented a new, uh, a new phenomenon called Zoom bombing. So apparently, you could have a public event on Zoom where everybody is invited. You can invite all your friends. Just put the link out on the internet, and everybody can come into your video chat room and you could have a party with everyone. Now, doesn't that sound great? I know some people have done it, but if anyone can log on, anyone can log on and people can log on and show very inappropriate things through their video and blast it out to you and all your friends. And um, obviously, <laughs> the New York Times think this is a very uh, interesting thing to write about. But look, uh, if you hold a private event, on Zoom, which I assume is most of them, then the only only you and a small group of people uh, that you know will have the link. And so hopefully there will be no uh, Zoom bombing at my tech retreat next week. Um, man, it's pretty bold. I mean, it's one thing to, to, uh, to troll in the comments and stuff and on Twitter. And man, Twitter has not gotten better, gotten better through this crisis. It's gotten way worse. Uh, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 one thing to do it through text. It's another thing to uh, mess with people through video. You have to be a special type of person to do that. Another thing that people have been pointing out with Zoom is people. There's been a lot of curiosity. What I don't want to say curiosity. It's uh, it's people are worried about this feature called attention tracking because now a lot of schools are using Zoom for classes and. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, workplaces are using Zoom. And so people are like, oh, my God, attention tracking. Does that mean that my boss can see what I'm doing on my screen? Does that mean my teacher can see what I'm doing on my screen? So, no, it turns out they can't actually see what you're doing on your screen. But um, what they can see is whether you're, the window that contains the Zoom call, has the focus or not. So, so, you know, when you use desktop computer, I don't know if I have to explain this, you know, when you click a window, you get the focus. So that way you're working within that window. And so if you have a focus on some other window, then they'll know, but they won't know exactly what you're doing. So here's my recommendation. If you're on a Zoom call and you think there might be attention tracking, um, you're at home. There are like, there's your there's your there you you have like three other computers there and you have your 
uh, you probably have your iPad and your, your, your iPhone. Just do your multitasking on your, on your other computer and then keep the focus on the Zoom window and they'll never know. Um, another discovery that I've made, and I'm sure a lot of you are making these discoveries now because you're trying to set up stuff remotely. And so let me know what you've found. If you've, because I've worked from home before, but all of a sudden things are different. Um, so let me know what you found, localmaxradio at gmail.com. I, my MacBook Air, the, the camera is not so great. So I was trying to think, okay, how can I use something else as an external webcam? I don't have a specifically an external webcam, but I thought maybe I could rig something up. It turned out a lot harder than I thought. I thought maybe I could use my camcorder. You know, I have a Sony, uh, a Samsung camcorder. Maybe I can attach that to the, um, to the laptop and that becomes the new webcam. Turns I can't do that. Um, I thought maybe my iPhone could do it. It turns out to be a lot more difficult. There are some apps that you could do it with, but uh, it's a little more difficult. I think the solution that I'm going to go with, and, uh, well, let me know if I'm crazy here. The solution that I'm going to go with is that I'm going to call into these meetings with two users. I'm going to call in with the laptops so that I could see everyone and put it on the TV. And then I'm also going to call in with my phone and that becomes the uh, that becomes my picture, the iPhone, because the iPhone is a really good camera. It's a crystal clear picture. And I ordered on Amazon a piece that attaches to the iPhone that allows it to attach to my tripod. So now I can have like a whole uh, I could have a whole setup here. I could not not just see my face, but uh, my coworkers can see me at my desk. It's almost like broadcasting a show here. So I think that would be fun. Uh, we'll see if. We'll see if that works, um, and uh, and 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 yeah, I'll, I'll the 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 um, the tripod that I have here is a very old tripod, but it looks like they're all the same. It's the same tripod I used to uh, film Dictator of Easton way back in two thousand one with Aaron. So, uh, <laughs> well, I will maybe I will take video of uh, of a local maximum uh, episode once I get this set up. So, okay, I'm starting to build a makeshift in-house recording studio here, uh, here in Brooklyn. If I could do it in my one-person apartment, so can you. In fact, uh, presidential candidate Joe Biden did it in his rec room, apparently, according to MSN. So I thought that was interesting. This presidential election all of a sudden became very different than what it was going to be, uh, before. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this is going to be very interesting to watch. All right. Now, I know I wanted to talk to Aaron for a while. We we had this kind of on the docket on topics that we want to cover on the local maximum. And one of them was to talk a little bit about, about risk-taking and what's a good approach to that. And so I still want to have that conversation. I don't know when it's going to be, but I wanted to kind of fire some opening shots here and to talk about some theoretical ideas uh, when it comes to uh, a wager. Now, I'm going to call it a wager in the same way, you know, um, you know uh, when I talked to Bob Murphy, how he said that, the, the, that um, economists in, in his field would call it a wager, uh, where you're sort of, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you um, what, what I think it is. It's instead of receiving a, a good for a payment, I'm receiving several possible outcomes with different possibilities. 
either for a payment or by a decision. So that's a wager. So for example, a wager might be, hey, there is a 30% chance I get $1,000 and there's a 70% chance I get $10. And so I, and I could pay X amount to take that wager or I could keep the X dollars. And so I have to decide between those two options. And so that's going to be uh, deciding whether to take a wager or not. Um, and so that's, uh, that's interesting from a theoretical perspective, but wow, the context of this question has changed so dramatically in the last few weeks, I'd say. Um, and so again, hopefully I've Aaron to flesh this out in future episodes. Uh, but um, again, so, it's, so there's some questions about how you rank different wagers. So again, in the, in the case of, I mean, okay, so let's say uh, you want, let, let's, let's, let's boil it down to something simpler. Let's say you either, uh, you pay $100 and then you either get zero or 200 and there's a 50% chance of each. Do you do it and how do you rank them? So first of all, there's a question of like, what are you risking? What are involved in these wagers? Because the one I mentioned was about money, but it's, they're, they're not, a lot, of, um, a lot of wagers are not about money. Sometimes it's about life. Sometimes it's about risks to your life. And we like to say that I don't take risks with my life. You know, that's what, that's what you like to say, but, um, but you'd be wrong. Um, the, <laughs> just having life is a risk to your life, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but um, yeah, if you, uh, if you take a car ride, there is a risk that, uh, that you'll get into a, a fatal car accident. Not a very high risk, but there is a risk, and so people are willing to take it. Um, Maybe you're risking your reputation, something a little more intangible. Maybe you're risking um, being able to get knowledge or not get knowledge. Uh, maybe you're risking time. I actually think most decisions, um, most of the downsides of things I do are, are wastes of time. <laughs> That's where I think I get into the most trouble. So what is so um, all of those are things to consider, and so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll look at what's most interesting there. Um, secondly, there's the difference between kind of a probability and uncertainty. And the difference that I often hear about is that, that, that I often hear about with this question is a probability is when you know, okay, there's like a 50-50 chance of something happening. Whereas uncertainty is when someone says, I don't know what the chance is of something happening. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think that oftentimes you can actually model uncertainty. Um, I mean, that's what you do in, in Bayesian inference. So I think this was um, uh, uh, Nassim Taleb. He was talking about you know whether the coronavirus is dangerous or not. He, he gave the example, well, if there's a lot of uncertainty about the ability of the pilot um, on a plane, Maybe, well, you wouldn't get on the plane because there's a lot of uncertainty. And then, so to take that a little further, if there is a lot of, if there's no uncertainty about the pilot, uh, maybe it's kind of a middle of the road, mediocre pilot, but you know that this pilot meets the, the standards and therefore uh, there really is very, very little risk that they will do have a problem with the plane, then, um, then, then, then you would get on. 
uh, versus a pilot who maybe was a good pilot, but there are some rumors that, there, that this, this pilot is losing it mentally or something like that, then there's a lot of uncertainty and maybe you, you don't want to get into the plane. And so how do, you, how do you model that? Well, the ultimate thing that you want to know is what is the risk that the pilot is going to cause the plane to crash or alternatively, like what is the risk, like if there's a problem with the plane that the, the, and the pilot can handle it or not. And so I think you do this in two steps, right? First, the first step is what is your uncertainty over the ability of the pilot? So you'd have to think, okay, how do I score abilities of the pilot? Let's maybe I scored on a scale from zero to 100. Um, I would be a zero. I have no idea how to, um, how to, uh, you know, and how to fly a plane. Maybe I'd be a one because maybe a zero would be someone who couldn't even try. Like at least I could read. Maybe that helps, but, but I don't know anything else. Uh, so, um, okay. Then from there, you want to map each ability to a probability that the plane is going to crash. So if, you're, if your score is zero, one, two out of a hundred, maybe there's a very, very high probability the plane will crash. But maybe if the... Um, if the if the number is uh, over over a certain amount, then there's a very low probability the plane is going to crash. And so when you add those all together and you get kind of um, get kind of an expected value of the probability that the plane will crash, uh, then um, then you can kind of put it together and get your answer. And so that would be the answer. Whereas you know the kind of middle of the road okay pilot um, who is uh, a licensed pilot. Um, you probably have a very low probability of crashing. Whereas if you have a very, very good pilot, but there's a chance he's losing it, maybe then you also have a chance of the plane crashing. So um, you can kind of work it out that way. Uh, and um, that, uh, that is interesting. Again, as when I, going back to my discussion with Bob Murphy, when he talked about when you model these probabilities, when you model these things probabilistically, you are not actually taking into account the uncertainty of the uncertainty. Like, what is it that you don't know? But I feel like going through these exercises, you can actually model a lot more using probability than, than people think. Okay, a second idea when it, comes to, um, when it comes to wagers is what's the expected value? And so this is an interesting idea because expected value is when you add up all of the uh, possibilities times their likelihood, and then you get the uh, and then you get kind of an average amount that you expect to get. So, for example, if there's a 50/50 chance I get $200 and a 50/50 chance I get zero, the expected value is 100. And so there is a question of should I just maximize expected value? And there is a good reason why you probably should not maximize expected value uh, or that's kind of, um, it, it's a good rule of thumb, but it sometimes uh, can bring you down the wrong path. Uh, so uh, for example, let's suppose you, um, you're going to wager $1,000 and there is maybe, I don't know, a one in a million chance you get five billion dollars, but there's uh, the all of the other chances nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine out of a million chance that you get nothing. Well, you I probably wouldn't take that because you lose, especially if it's a thousand dollars. 
I wouldn't take it because you'd lose the thousand almost certainly, and you'd never see that five billion. And so there's yes, technically the expected value is better, but uh, especially if you could only play that game once, it's uh, it's it's not worth it. And so um, sometimes what so, some economists do. They, they say that you shouldn't maximize expected value, but you should maximize expected utility. And so the idea here is that, yes, um, uh, you know, the utility of $1,000, $1,000 is a lot of utility for most people, but $5 billion, yes, it has a lot of utility, but it doesn't have much more than $4 billion. So you kind of have to reweight everything. You kind of have to, you know, those extra dollars get weighted, they count for less. And so you kind of weight money amounts onto this mysterious utility metric, and then you can find the expected value of that. Um, it's an interesting idea. I know the Austrian economists, like Bob Murphy and others, don't like it. It's an interesting idea, though, the fact that if you take kind of a uh, someone who's making decisions that are consistent, um, you can almost prove that there's a way to rewrite re the numbers so that it works out. And so I, I always found that interesting. Okay, a few more theoretical points on wagers. One is obvious. If A is preferable to B, then if you have a um, if you have a if you have some some mixtures of probability, there's some risk. Maybe A will happen, but there's some risk of this bad thing B happening, then uh, it's pretty clear what you'd prefer. So, for example, if there's a 90% A versus a 10% B, then you would prefer that to 50% A and 50% B. Um, there's no question about that there. But rare life, uh, real life is, is rarely like that. Oftentimes, you have A, B, and C. And what happens is B is kind of the middle option that is you can you can get for sure and then you get or you can get some mixture of a and b so for example i put uh i i walk into a casino and i spend a hundred bucks at the casino or spend a thousand bucks at the casino however much whatever your uh whatever your threshold is for how much you'd spend at the casino and then um either good things will happen at the casino or bad things will happen at the casino i don't know the good thing is a the bad thing is c or I could just walk out of there and keep my B dollars and everything will be fine. So here's the interesting uh, thing about it. Uh, there's this midpoint theorem. And I feel like it's, it's obvious when you think about it. But I feel like there's some crazy, um, there, some of the, uh, what was it, some of the, not expectations, some of the, uh, some of the things that follow from this are pretty crazy. Uh, so if A is the good option, C is the bad option, and B is the middle option, there's some mixture of A and C that equals B where you should be indifferent. So this is interesting. What if B is um, nothing happens, A is winning a million dollars or stealing a million dollars from the bank, and C is going to jail for five years. We'll use that. We'll, we'll, we'll call it like the bank robber's dilemma, right? And so apparently this says that there exists some probability such that, um, you know, obviously if the probability of getting away with it is, uh, is, is 100%, you would take the getting away with it. If the probability of going to jail is 100%, uh, then you, you wouldn't do it. Somewhere in between, 
uh, 100% getting away with it, 100% getting caught. Somewhere in between, there's like a threshold where you should choose otherwise. Now, I hate to, I hate to bring this in with because there's the moral thing too, but let's, <laughs> you could think of like other things. Um, I don't know, what if you risk your, risk your fortune or risk your life for something to happen? Um, there, there should be a, a probability in there that makes sense. Um, another thing that we might want to consider is the effect of time. So if you can play, a, if you could make a wager and you can make it over and over and over again, then uh, the, um, the effect of adding those together um, gives you a closer certainty to what the expected value is. So for example, um, if I play this game where I either get zero to 200, um, then uh, uh, zero or 200, 50-50, if I play it twice, then... There's a 50% chance I get 200, a 25% chance I get zero, a 25% chance I get uh, 400. You know, so every, it, it sort of starts to peak in the middle, and so you get more and more certainty. And that's sort of what insurance does, right? So, you know, I, could, um, I can say, well, there's a small, uh, if I bet on one person getting sick, uh, or health insurance, or if I bet, well, let's do, let's do property insurance. I bet on one person getting into a car accident, that's, that's a pretty risky thing. But if I bet on lots of people getting into a car accident, then I have a pretty certain uh, thing of what's going to happen. And now I can look at expected value. Um, so uh, that's good. Another effect of time um, and adding lots of risks one on top of each other and something that people rarely appreciate is that uh, well, there's the positive side of it and the negative side of it. The negative side of it, there's this unhealthy risk-taking behavior that should be avoided, things that have significant risk of injury or death. Yeah, you can get away with it for a few times. But if you make that your lifestyle, if you make that your lifestyle, then eventually it's going to catch up to you. It's more and more likely over time. And life is long. So, you know, um, that is something to consider uh, that is something definitely to consider. Uh, another, but the, there's a positive side of that, um, which is like good entrepreneurship. People who maybe start businesses or start enterprises, maybe they fail a little bit, but they learn from it each time. Um, this is why there's a lot of stories of like lots of failures and then eventually they strike it rich because if you are at it for a long period of time, then eventually, and assuming that the learning that you get from doing it over time gives you, uh, puts your expected value into higher, higher territory, then, you know, entrepreneurship or even just good risk-taking, good, you know, hey, if I'm going to put a, a, a bet on something that might not happen, but if it does happen, then it pays off big. If I could figure out a way to do that over and over again, then, I can eventually strike it big in a few places. I mean, that's what uh, that's what VCs and angel investors do, right? Uh, an angel investor will say, "Hey, I'm going to invest in all of these tech startups, and then some of them will strike it big, and then that'll make up for the ones that uh, that that lose." And my expected value is actually really high. And if I make enough investments, then I can be sure that I'm going to get more that I'm going to get closer to my expected value. So. Okay, those, that's just, um, maybe those things weren't as connected as I would like. This is not a class after all. I just wanted to share a few ideas on bets and wagers before I have a more practical conversation, maybe with Aaron down the road. Um, lastly, and I can't believe I've been talking for that long. I was worried about uh, this solo show because on this solo show, there's like a lot of, I don't know, um, 
I don't know. There's been a lot going on recently. I was like, am I going to have enough? Am I going to have enough content? Apparently I do. Uh, Dave D writes on the, on the definition of probability. So I, I said that I like the subjective version of probability uh, over the objective. He uh, presents a third option, which is very compelling, called logical probability. He writes, in a nutshell, the main thrust of the view I hold is that probability describes the uncertainty in our state of knowledge, but it's not subjective in the sense that it follows directly from the premises. If two people have the exact same premises, they will assign the same probability to an event. People often use the uh, different premises because they have different information or they're using different models. So they have to assign their own probabilities to events, but chant, but uh, uh, differences in probability assignments do not make them subjective since each person's probability calculation can follow directly from their premises and reflect their state of knowledge objectively. So that's very interesting. I can work with this. It's almost, you know, the argument like, hey, um, in mathematics, if you set up a mathematical problem, if you set up a problem in geometry or algebra, you know, if you say, you know, 5x plus 7 equals uh, 20, well, there's one answer to X. It's objective, and you can get at that logically. If you're solving a problem in the real world, though, like, and you, you get to that algebraic expression, like, yeah, okay, you're making some assumptions about the real world, so you have some disconnection about the real world there. So it's saying that probability is sort of the objective calculation, uh, calcula calculation part. It's from when you go from your assumptions to the calculation, and maybe the assumptions are what starts off objectively. Um, and so a logical probability can maybe be separated out from subjective probability in that it's like it's, it's the portion of it that um, it's the portion of it where you go from your assumptions to your answer and, uh, and, and there are well understood mathematical ways to get from A to B. Uh, whereas, you know, in the real world in engineering, coming up with those assumptions can often be um, differ from one person to another, or diff people have different information, or take different subsets of the data. And so maybe we don't want to consider that as part of probability. I don't know. I'm going to think on that a little bit more. Always happy to uh, get your emails, localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want to weigh in. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.